0: This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker.
1: And I'm Wayne Chang. Welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome, to, uh, uh, welcome to this episode. Uh, in this episode, we're just going to have Christian read um, Exploring Eberron, <laughs> um, the entire thing. Uh, so everybody just sit back and relax. It's going to be like a six hour, six hour marathon. Right.
0: <laughs> so, uh, title page. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, in, in this episode, uh, we'll be digging into the holds and getting down to earth with the dwarves. I stole your joke again, Keith. Yeah, I, I, just, I see. I, I see what myself. you did there. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Get it. Digging into the holds Yeah. Down uh, to earth.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: We're all all month, folks. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anywho, um, so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into the moral holds. Now, I I do want to preface this a little bit with the fact that, um, we acknowledge and we know that the fact that, um, there hasn't been a lot about the the dwarves in Eberron, uh, in the, throughout the different editions. However, uh, we will be teasing a little bit, or at least sort of preempting a little bit, um, about what's coming and exploring Eberron. But we're not going to give anything away. We're just going to kind of sort of give you little bits to, to chew on before that book comes out. Uh, so I think it's going to be kind of exciting. There are some articles that are out there, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so way back in third, you know, 3.5 edition, uh, you can find these in the archives. We'll have links. But there's the uh, Dwarves of the Morrowholds part one and two. Uh, so those are their old Dragon Shards articles. Uh, and Keith, you had an article, Dragon Marks, on your site mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Um I I do want to call out Dragonmarked uh simply because of uh, house Kendrick and, mm-hmm. and the amount of information that's in there. Um but looking forward exploring Everon has I I've seen it and it has an immense amount of information on the doors. <laughs> so you all have a lot to look forward to. And uh Keith, I'm I'm just going to say I'm I'm really uh I'm actually kind of overwhelmed <laughs> by the amount of content that's in there. It's really impressive, so. Well,
2: well part of, you know, why that is 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 the fact that exploring Eberron presents an opportunity for me to explore more deeply into parts of the world uh, that have never really been explored in the detail we, you know, that I'd I'd like. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, dwarves. I want to talk more about dwarves. Mm -hmm. Uh, But part of that is, and we'll talk about this a little more in a moment, is just the fact that going into Rising from the Last War, we did decide let's do more with the dwarves, but we didn't really get the space in that book to explore that idea sort of as fully as as it could be. Mm -hmm. And so if you'd asked me even a year ago, I would not have expected to have as much information about dwarves and exploring as we do, uh, but I'm really happy to have had the opportunity to really add a lot more sort of weight to their role in Eberron,
0: and I'm very happy with it. I'm finding I'm finding very hard to not just turn this into an interview about exploring Eberron. <laughs>
2: well, we'll so, do that. We'll do that in the
0: future. We'll do that in the future. And well, uh, but I let's mean, yeah. To we, give
1: everybody a start, I mean, if you're not as well versed in the lore of Eberron, uh, one of the things that you know I think all of us have heard complaints about is the lack of information about dwarves or the lack of differentiation of information. So you know, <clears throat> going back to regular D and D and regular sort of. Um, you know, high fantasy is that, you know, dwarves are these, you know, the smiths, they're the warriors, they're the gruff, you know, you know, hardworking types. And, um, and
2: they're, they're cave pirates. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Basically the, the love of wealth, the love of gold. And what happens is when you come to Eberron and everything slipped on their head, you get dwarves that live in mountains and are good with treasure and their Dragonmark house is banking because they have lots of wealth. So, I mean, I, I think when people talk about that, they're just like, um, it's kind of the same dwarves. And yeah, they, right. got, they got the, the yeah. they got House of Gundarak, you got the Mark of Warding, obviously that makes them different, but that's not the entire race.
2: Well, and, and part of it, I think, is is what it comes to is that so many of the other races feel dramatically different. That you've got halfling barbarians riding dinosaurs. You've got, you know, uh, warrior elves and and ones with, you know, positive-aligned mummies. You have gnomes that are actually scary instead of silly. Uh, and that when you compare all those, how different they are, how different the Zill gnomes are from Tinker gnomes or the Talenta halflings are from your traditional halflings, the dwarves don't feel that different. Now... The point of that is we weren't trying to make them that different. What we were trying to do with the dwarves was to really pick up on the fact that, wait a second, they've got resources, and that it was basically a parallel to the real world situation that we see of nations that are small nations that aren't necessarily as advanced as the countries around them, but that possess great power because of the resources they have and that essentially the dwarves are the oil barons of Eberron except that instead of oil it's gold and uh, adamantine and steel but it was this idea that that should be a critical part of them that their resources, that their wealth should be a defining aspect of them and the issue is that that's just not as dramatically obvious or compelling as a halfling on a dinosaur.
0: Right. And I think there's still some differentiation too in that, oh, for uh, sure. you know, we know, for example, that, yeah, they, they, they can mine for minerals and, you know, steel and adamantine, all those things you mentioned. Um, and they do some forging, but they're not oh, the yeah. best at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You still have, you know, the ingenuity of Burlish industry, you know, you have house Caneth. They're the ones who have that, you know, that, that stake and in, in, in that, uh, industry and the elven craftsmanship you know and and so and, you know and dwarves is, aren't they're not sitting there in their forges just you know banging out the greatest magic item you know <laughs> to, to exist in the land you know
2: and and it's funny because that is something that people have asked me a lot they've said well why didn't the dwarves get the mark of making
0: mm-hmm.
2: and part of my general reaction to that is well why should they like, right. that's the whole point is on the one hand, people are saying, oh, the dwarves aren't different enough. And on the other hand, they're saying, why aren't the dwarves down there making the <laughs> finest? You know, that right. to us, it was that idea that Kenneth is sort of representing, you know, even again, that whole point, as you said, the elves have ancient magic and all of that. But Kenneth represents the idea of essentially human ingenuity. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And that we didn't want the dwarves. To be the the driving force of industry, the idea with the dwarves is it's not that they're they're the drivers of industry; it's that they've got gold, and so that's that idea that let's have the dwarves be the bankers, mm-hmm. you know, because they've got the most money, uh, and and that again, just when you look to uh, to you know our history with things like the Medici and such. Uh, that it is interesting uh, to explore the power, the power. of, of mm-hmm. you know, banks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, as I say, that was a choice, that instead of warriors, we made them merchant princes. <laughs> but it still does have that point that, yeah, that, that was a fine idea, but it still turns out playing a banker isn't something many people aspire to. Um. And that it didn't really grab people. So when we were working on Rising, I had already – when you look at the, the Dragon Shard articles that you linked to, I had from the start said, well, let's find ways to make them a little more compelling. I played up on the idea that the dwarves really care about things, objects, that it's not just about wealth. It's that uh, – you know, their possessions. They want to know the stories. They want to to know about, you know, any little things like that. But we'd also added this idea that the dwarves were themselves uh, exiles um, from this realm below, that it was almost a sort of prison colony situation where long ago they had been kicked out of some deeper, more advanced civilization that was a contemporary of the Goblin Empire of Dakan, And among other things, this gives you a little bit of that, oh, goblins did fight dwarves. It was just a very, very, very long time ago. Uh, But that there was a greater subterranean civilization of the dwarves that they have been kicked out of, that they know nothing about, and that at some point they discovered they found it again that it was very deep down, except what they discovered is it had been completely wiped out by the Dalkir. Now, in 3rd edition, this is presented as they find it, and it's pretty much totally empty. It's just like, yeah, there's a big empty set of ruins down below there. In working on Rising from the Last War, we basically said okay, we want them to be more interesting. We want more player-friendly hooks. And we were brainstorming, you know, me, Jeremy Crawford, James Wyatt. And what came up on the table was, what if we build on the realm below? And playing with that idea that it's not just an empty ruin. It's that they found it. They started digging down and they discovered that the Dalkir are still there. Uh, and that basically they kicked the hornet's nest, uh, and things started coming up, you know, that they poked around for a while on the upper levels and that was fine. But when they went down below, things started coming up and they discovered that there's levels of the, the realm below that are still inhabited by the Dalkir. And that in fighting them, you first have this idea that you've had, just as everyone else was fighting the last war, they were fighting this brutal for- war below the, uh, the the Moorholds that was basically much more direct and personal. You know, the last war was long and uh, and grand, uh, the war below, the idea is they were constantly living in fear that at any time the Dalkir might suddenly do a big push to try and come up from below. Mm-hmm. And that while that never happened, they've been living on this sort of war footing of everyone's got to be ready. You know, it's fallout shelter drills. We've got to be ready for what happens if suddenly a huge swarm of Dolgants comes pouring out of the depths. Um... And to me, with The Realm Below, I'd like to equate it a little bit to almost it's an aliens situation. That is to say, the movie Aliens. Of mm-hmm. Venturing down below, it is almost like exploring an alien world. It is this, there's wonders down there we don't know about. You, know, you don't know what you'll find. But the farther you go, you literally don't know what you'll find. We know they've got dole guns. We know they've got dole grims. We know they've got chokers. But what else do they have? What might you find down there? What might you release? So part of it is that sort of ongoing fear of they're sitting on a time bomb. uh, And part of it is, but there's so many wonders to be found there. And the second then aspect of that is this idea that some of those wonders are ancient artifacts created by the, the dwarves, using techniques that have been lost, and right. that this is an opportunity. As you said, the Moraholds aren't the greatest artificers. But they can look down there and say, "But there's things down there Kenneth can't make. There's secrets that if we could master, we could be a bigger power." Uh, so that's compelling. And then, meanwhile, you have the idea that some of the clans have said. But also, there's all these symbiotes. There's all this living, you know, this this flesh crafting. Why don't we figure that out? What could we do with that? And you know, you kill a, a bunch of dolgram dolgans with with symbiotes. Why waste them? And that that has further created a divide between the dwarves of people who are like, you can't possibly, essentially, let's look to aliens again. It's the people who say this thing must be destroyed. And it's the people who say, if we could master that, we could use it as a weapon. And that that's what you're seeing is some of the clans embracing actively fleshcrafting and symbiotes, while others are saying that's an abomination and you can't... Uh, right, you can't do that.
0: Right. And we've seen that in in several alien movies in fact, yeah. where like the company or whatever it is mm-hmm. are trying to harvest that as and weaponize it, right? And that's, yeah, there's there's a danger there. Yeah. And and so basically, uh, before we move on to
2: sort of what you can do with all of this, uh, the main point is that was the idea that drove us in Rising.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because not only does it give the dwarves more of a story, Uh, Both in this is going on, how has it affected you, and how does your clan uh, embrace it, and how do you relate to your clan? Uh, But it also gives the Dalkir a more concrete place in the world that in 3rd edition— We knew that they were around in the shadow marches, but there really was no place that you could absolutely say, let's just go fight some some Dalkir folks. You could just go wander around in the shadow marches and hope. But you never know. Whereas here we are saying there is absolutely if you go to Sordorak Hold and go down, you will find stuff. Right. You know, that this is a front line where you can fight the forces of Dern.
0: Right. Or the or the, the sure. impression that was always given, at least on – or the way I always yep. saw it, was that the Delcure are there, but mm-hmm. they're locked away. And the oh, biggest yeah. threat is these seals being broken, right. not so much that you're just going to go and fight them, per se. And, you're and fighting is, their minions. You're fighting right. the Dolgons and the Dolgrims, but not them necessarily. And, not that you want to. <laughs> and, and this is the point of uh,
2: – you know, of the, the the Dalkir, is they're trapped below, but mm-hmm. their minions can come up. Right. That's still the case in in the Murholds. It's not that we think Darren himself can come up, but his minions can. Right. And, you know, that that can still give us give us trouble. So, again, also Belashira had gotten all the love in, in third edition, frankly. And we talked about Darren, uh, but we never really done anything with it. And so to me, as I said, this is a – it's a much more concrete place where whether it's fighting the minions, whether it's working with the symbionts, where we are really seeing the here having a clear impact on the world. And I like shifting that away from
0: solely being about the shadow marches and the gatekeepers. Yeah, Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah it seems like it's a more active engagement. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of points you made, too, about, um, you know, you're talking about like their their history and such and remembering and, and whatnot, and that they have this uh, – the artifacts – I, I like to think of the artifacts that they make or that they keep or that they're finding as their way of remembering their history. You know, well, like, it, they're, they're these vehicles for the – like, while the elves worship their ancestors, you know, either directly because they can interact with them or spiritually, I feel like – the dwarves do this with memory, with these and, relics and artifacts and such.
2: Well, I completely agree. And it's, it's something we don't go into as much detail as, again, I'd like. But certainly that is the idea to me, that families in particular, it's the right. idea that you would have something. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we have Dolderun's Hammer or we have this cauldron, or we have this whatever, and that that's sort of a thing that something I sort of suggest in, in Exploring, and we'll get more to that in a moment, is that idea that in thinking of your character, think about your family. And among other things, do you have a family artifact? You know, is there a thing that is a particular point of pride for you that your family possesses this thing?
0: Right, and passes down uh, accordingly. Yeah. And,
2: and that that's sort of the point is, unlike Kenneth— which, again, the whole thing is, well, if we can make something, we can make it again. This is that idea of saying we have the Hammer of Dolderun. No one knows how to make it, you know, again. Right, right. But we have it. So that heirloom aspect. Now, that's where we were going with Rising. But, again, the point is we we only get four pages, you know, two pages about the holds, a couple pages about the Dwarves. With exploring we go much farther. So we talk (laughs) more about both the realm below. What are you going to find there? What could take you down there? We talk more about symbionts. We give you more symbionts. We also, though, talk more about the different clans uh, because each clan has a hold. Uh, And we talk about the... um, uh, you know their their stories and histories.
1: I I like to interject for a second, listeners. So um, you have may, may have noticed me um, laughing out loud when <laughs> Keith was talking. So um, to give you a little a little bit behind the curtain, um, when Keith and I originally uh, when Keith we said okay here's the outline. Uh, Keith gave the uh, the holds um, eight to ten pages, and that included symbionts, that included um, the dark blood. Dwarf, um, which you may have seen which we'll get on Twitter to, about. Yeah, we'll talk about. Okay, and um, when Keith started writing, and he said uh, this is going to take a little longer. I said, great, okay, keep writing. So. Um, I believe we're at 16 pages. I think, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's just on the more holes. That doesn't include yep. the mechanics. Oh, that's right. Because
2: Symbios, took... yeah, you're yeah. right. So it's probably more we like took 20 those... pages. Oh, yeah, because
1: we took those out of that section and put them somewhere else. Um, so if I'm laughing when Keith says certain things, um, it is because mm-hmm. obviously there's something behind it.
2: Well, and and part <laughs> of that, again, was because as I was writing it, it came to this point of, well, what's the point in doing this? You know, all this time in the future, in the previous times, like with Rising, we said, well, this is a cool idea, but then we don't really give you enough to use it. Mm-hmm. And so as I was writing it for Exploring, it was like, okay, but if we're not, I started just writing about a couple of the, the, the clans, just saying, well, mm-hmm. here's Solderak, here's Moran. And, and as I was doing that, I'm like, but if you don't have all the clans, what's the point? You know they should all. And one of the things I'm happy about is we talk about the the thirteen clans, and to me each one of them, I can see wanting to make a character from that clan. And what this comes to, and the reason I I sort of wanted to shift to it is exactly what you were saying, uh, Christian, Mm -hmm. about their reaction. You know their how they are compared to the elves. And what I've said with the idea of the dwarves is, first off, they love stories, and they. but that basically uh, – I think I have a line. I'll just find it real quick in Exploring Eberron uh, where, yeah, the bard notes, the more I care deeply about their stories, but facts just get in the way. <laughs> uh, that – the idea to me is that the kind of stories the more like are essentially tall tales that it's the, instead of Paul Bunyan and John Henry, they tell stories about the founders of the clans. They talk about Moran and or sold or, uh, Doldaroon, and they have all these stories about what those people did, but they don't actually care when it happened. Uh, and further they don't actually care which Doldarun it is. It's just, this is a thing Dolderoon did. And so the point is, when you compare them to the elves, the Arrheni and the Tarnadal are very specific. The Arrheni want to keep the people alive. The Tarnadal want to emulate the precise deeds of this precise person. Whereas the idea is that the dwarves look at their clan as a person. This is the story of Dolderun, and that basically what you want is to do something so amazing that 500 years from now, people will say, well, did you hear the time when Dolderun found the Blade of Sorrow? And they're talking about you, but you've just become Dolderun, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. right? And so it's not about – specifics, even though people within their own lifetime, they'll talk about you as an individual, but it's about that idea that I am expanding the honor and the tale of my entire clan.
0: Nice. Yeah.
2: Um, and then part of what Exploring Eberron does is talking about each of those clans is also talking about what their defining values are. That it's not just, and they're all about honor, and they're all about You know, strength. It's that you do have Dolderun being about uh, courage and honor, uh, and you know Duraneth being more about strength. Like basically, if you said there were thirteen people and you were telling a story and they got to an arm wrestling contest, well, the fact of the matter is Duraneth would win because we all know Duraneth is the strongest, and that therefore, as a Duraneth dwarf you should be strong because that is the thing that your clan is known for. You know, that is their value, but that you have others who are known for common sense, for charisma. uh, And that depending where you want to go with a character, you may find a different.
1: I think it's actually really interesting. Obviously I've read the book and, and Keith wrote it and, and, and Christian has read it. Um, One of the things that Keith Keith basically just said was, you know, we didn't want to cut it off for one or two. Yeah, there's a few clans that are more well-known, and obviously we go into a little bit more detail. But this gives you an idea of—one of the whole points of of giving more information about the dwarves is not just to give lore. I know there's a lot of people out there, you're listening to us, you're like, I want to know more, I want to know more. But we had to give you guys—we had to give you something that you could use. Mm -hmm. And saying, I'm from the Moorholds, I'm from this clan— here are my clan values here are my clan well, we didn't give you any story specifically but here are the stories that we're probably going to tell about these people here are the cell uh, there's a line obviously says the celebrated virtues those are the things that are most important that gives you something to play and while not everybody's going to know them, know them at least it gives you something to latch on to and that was really really important because it's not just give more information about the dwarves it was what is going to make them more interesting mm-hmm. when everybody has complained I um, mean, not everybody, but people have complained that they're just not interesting enough. They're just not different enough. They're just not enough and, of the dwarves.
2: And, and yeah, that's exactly it to me, is, is that that's the thing, is going from that point of, well, we don't really have anything to do, uh, to the current example, where the point to me is not just I'm a dwarf fighter— I'm a dwarf fighter from the uh, holds, But frankly, if I make a Doldrum fighter versus a Duraneth fighter versus a Soldurak fighter, those are all going to be completely different characters. And that just from this, I know how they're going to be different and what they're going to be trying to do. And so I think it hits something that we tried to do in Rising, but even more with exploring, that you don't want lore without practical value. That the whole idea is to say, okay, here's a bunch of history of these different clans, but we want you to look at it and say, and I see how that gives me something to work with. And I think we have,
0: but, you know. Yeah, I I think you're right in that, you know, a good – because ultimately this is a game, right? And the point of a game, when you read material like this, is, you know, to to get an understanding, what is it that I'm going to do as this character? What am I doing in this game? Like, what are the things I'm aspiring for? And it sounds like that's what you've addressed here, is that you're giving information for each of these clans and for these cultures that tells the player exactly that. And I think that's great.
2: Now, coming back to that, so basically... You know what we do. And again, we're saying, hey, this is what's coming and exploring. Uh, But, you know, the first point is giving the clans and with Mm -hmm. all of them talking about, again, as Wayne said, the celebrated virtues, talking about, well, what kind of classes, what kind of backgrounds are associated with this. We do have concrete mechanical stuff, both in terms of adding the symbionts. And I want to talk a little more about uh, the role of symbionts, uh, but also as as Wayne mentioned, the dark blood dwarf, who uh, is a dwarven subrace, that essentially reflects the idea that over the last century, over this conflict with the Dalkir, that we've managed to achieve a stalemate, that basically, the the dwarves have either sealed their passages or drawn a line. You know, they've fortified an area and at the moment they're holding it. But even though the Dalkir haven't invaded, dwarves are being born that have these strange mutations. And uh, this is inspired by certainly the Dalkir Half-Blood from Mm -hmm. uh, Magic of Eberron, which which I didn't work on. Uh, But it is different. It is specifically a dwarven subrace Uh, and it has a whole place sort of tied to, especially depending what clan you're from, you know, how that will affect you. Uh, but what I really wanted with this was for you to be able to, in making a Dwarven character, whether you choose one of the existing clans or make your own to immediately just be able to have a bunch of interesting questions to answer and, you know, to be able to generate a really interesting character concept very quickly.
0: Nice. So, um, when uh so I'm just trying to get my thoughts here <laughs> so I feel like I'm so overwhelmed
1: with all this going on well I mean there, the there's a lot going on I mean um, there's, I, I, there's a lot of inf- there's a lot of information right. I mean you, we've gone from yeah I mean you know a, a total of like let's say 8 to 10 pages in the last including fifth like 8 to 10 pages in the last three editions to there's 16 pages here not including you know the other stuff that's in the other chapters like, like you've doubled the amount of in- we've doubled the amount of information that's there and most of it's new like very honestly most of it's new information well one of the things that that builds on what we had
2: before that i do like is is i talked before about this idea that the dwarves like to have stories about the things they have mm-hmm. and here uh, you know, we've just generally expanded on the idea that again, the Dwarves like telling stories. And I've certainly known people like this. So you know they've got a story for everything. And I like that idea that you know, one of the things we note here uh, is anyone who spends much time around Roar quickly grows used to the phrase Tolkalan, or in the common translation. That reminds me of a story. That, you know, whenever you're doing something, dwarfs say, oh, come on, I remember when blankety blank blank, you know, and that while on the one hand, this can be seen as them being boastful, they like to talk about what they've done, that they also like to talk about what other people have done, that they want people, they want you to tell your story, and if you don't, they'll tell it for you. Uh, that just the idea that it's it's they, this is part of their character is if we're sitting around, why isn't someone telling a story? Uh, which I just like as as a point of flavor. and that that ties to their possessions. that even if you just have a sword starting off, we're just I'm a first level character and I've got a broadsword. does it have a story? Where did it come from? Uh, and if you do find, uh, plus one sword, you want to know whose was it? Where did it come from? You know, And to me, that comes to the idea of, frankly, going all the way back to The Hobbit, which I loved as a child, of them finding Glamdring uh, and, you know, these swords that are just in a troll's trove. Mm-hmm. And yet these swords have stories. And that the point is, as a dwarf, you should want to know that,
0: you know? Uh, so... You know, I I find it – I also, you know, appreciate the fact that, um, you know, what we're looking at now going forward, too, is is the opportunity to actually start exploring deeper. Yeah, Mm -hmm. literally. You know, and – yeah, literally. Right. And – And that, you know, this, this is sort of, you know, often I see on forums, like on Reddit or whatever, people asking about the sort of underdark of Eberron and that it's not really, there's no, there's not enough detail about it. And so here we're getting a little bit of a taste of that too. And I think that's a really good direction to have dwarves so uh, directly involved with that.
2: So, so this is the point of with Eberron, uh, we wanted to add a twist But we also wanted to embrace the idea of what defines the race in the first place. So the elves are driven by their obsession with death, which largely ties to their incredibly long lifespans. Mm -hmm. And so the point is we didn't just want to put the dwarves at their forges, like you said before, but we're also not trying to completely change the dwarves. And so I like, as you said, that they do have this tie to this war in the deep. That they are sort of on the front lines. That that's something like, okay, dwarves dealing with with a war under the mountains. Mm -hmm. And yet it's sort of different. Uh, I do think if we look to sort of what this does for game masters, you know, like how is this practical? You know, again, I said earlier on that the war below gives us a front line that we know if you want to fight Dalkir, here's a place where you can do it. Or at least fight their minions. And that, that it's, you know, of all things, it's basically the realm below is literally a dungeon the size of a country. And that there's so many different spots, whether you are fighting one of the known front lines or whether you, um, you as a game master, you say, oh, we've just opened up a new hole and we want you to go down and explore it. Right. Uh, one of the points, you know, I make is that if you're a dwarven noble... You know, if you're a noble from the Moorholds, your family literally owns everything that goes down. And that it is reasonable to say, if you want to carve a space out down there, it's yours. You know, if you want your your group to have a keep, you can get one. Uh, You've just got to, you know, dig it out and hold it.
1: I think it's one of the things that's kind of interesting about it is that, you know, we talk a lot about Eberron and the last war has ended. Mm -hmm. The last war is done for now, but you've got an act. This is an active war. This is an active war front. This is an active yeah. war story. Yeah, it's not, if you not want over. It to be. Yep. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is not trenches, Cold War, um, which obviously has defined Eberron stories. But this is an active war zone, and certain places are shut down, and certain places are yeah, you're in that Cold War thing. But this is a manner of creature a manner of manner creatures that you know it's the it's the aliens thing where it's like it's like you three and you've got the um you know the motion sensor and they're just crawling all over and there's an unlimited amount of them um and it's not a it's not a war of attrition so much as a you know we fight for every inch that we, we do. And it is an active war zone. Great for adventuring, great for war stories, um, great for, uh, you know, under dark horror, <laughs> right? Um, but it, it, it is something that it's almost something you don't get unless you kind of, you don't get that. We don't, I'm not going to say we don't, but it's like, right, right. it's not a, it's not a common theme. You're going to see in a lot of Eberron stories because, There's always that. There's a different idea to this war.
2: Well, Eberron, exactly. The last war was a war fought between humans. It was a war where there really was no right or wrong. And here, this is that war with an inhuman alien force. And of course, we can't necessarily say it's evil because we don't even understand it. But there is no question that this is is not a war you can just eh, decide not to fight or... That, that this is there is a force there that will destroy you if it if it comes up. But part of it also was this comes back to looking at the the racial stats of a creature. You know, with the elves, oh, they live for so long, what would that do? One of the things about the dwarves is dwarves inherently have weapon training, they have tool training, and part of what this does is to explain that by saying that this is a conflict that has been going on for the last hundred years and or not quite hundred years. Uh, and that as I said earlier when I was saying, oh, everyone does fallout shelter drills. you know everyone's prepared for uh, a Zoriat raid is the idea that that's because the reason you are trained in those weapons is because you fought. Everybody serves in the you know, has served in the militia at some point. Uh, and that the training for Smith's tools, uh, or Mason's tools, if you've got that, you were repairing armor or weapons. You were working on fortifications. That that to the the last war, we can say, maybe you were doing this, maybe you weren't. Maybe you just lived far beyond the front lines and it never really touched you. Here in the Merholds, we're saying, we don't even know where the front line is because it's below your feet. And so that they had to have this, we have to be ready for uh, something to come bur- burrowing up at any time. Mm-hmm.
0: The uh, something I want to touch on too is you know the idea that there's all these these lost relics you know deep below and whatnot. I'm running a campaign, for, uh, for example, with uh, the acquisitions directorate. The parties are members of, of that group, and the idea is that they just go adventuring, they find stuff, they bring it back. To help with, you know, for things that might benefit research for the 12, right? right? And I think this is a great opportunity for something like that. Like, you can well, have House Kundrack saying, hey, you know, we think there might be something down here. Or we've, we found evidence of something, and we need a team to go in there.
2: And there's a second aspect that we haven't yet touched on. Mm-hmm. Again, as you said, we've got this is the Underdark of Eberron. And something that we have talked about a lot, but not really dealt with, is the fact that Eberron, you go down below, you're not just walking around in caves.
0: No, it's all Demiplanes. It's
2: Demiplanes. Yeah. That uh, down in Kyber, you are connected to Demiplanes. And this is why the Dalkir are there, is that uh, Dern isn't just trapped in a room. He's trapped in a Demiplane. And that anywhere that demiplane touches the physical world, you open. You, know, you can open out. Uh, but part of what we talk about is the idea that the realm below, the ancient dwarves, part of why they could make these things that nobody makes anymore is that they had harnessed demiplanes. That basically demiplanes are tiny little pockets of reality where the laws of reality and nature don't apply that I talk about it and they're saying, you could have a literally bottomless well on your mine. You could have a realm where jewels grow on trees, you know, or where you can find sources of power or magic that you can't find anywhere else. And so part of this is this idea of saying that when you go down, you're not just finding an old abandoned ruin you are potentially finding a place that literally is a gateway to an alien world. And what have they harnessed from it? What did they find? What did they do with it? And so that is the idea of it's not just the trope of, oh, old people had better magic than we did. It's they had more interesting magic because they are using this resource that we don't have on the surface. And what can you do with that? And how does that drive an adventure? Right. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, when you're, so, yeah. Go, yeah ahead. go ahead. I was going to mention, like, especially when you're talking about like symbionts and stuff. I mean, exactly, and all the crazy things that the Delkier make.
2: And and this is something that when we get to the Demon Wastes, we'll also talk about there. Of mm-hmm. this is the idea of how the the um, gosh, colored orcs are able to sort of keep going is that they're harvesting alien worlds. Uh, But that does come to then the second point about this is the fact that we introduce both new symbionts. We introduce the dark blood dwarves that if you really want to dig into symbionts, they've got some advantages there. Uh, But also in two of the 12 holds, Narathun and Solderak, we really deal with the idea that they have actually said symbiotes are interesting not only are we going to harvest them from down below and use them you know these are we're going to turn the enemy's weapons against them but that especially in the case of Narathon, they're actually trying to reverse engineer them and and do their own flesh crafting and so within those holds it's also a possibility part of what's interesting in eberron is to say how is magic used to advance civilization. If arcane magic is our tool, mm-hmm. in these two holes, you get to say, "But what if your tool is flesh crafting?" You know, and one of the things we talk about, uh, just you know, one tiny example is saying, "So instead of using continual flame for street lamps, what if you have lightning bugs?" And that's lighting, not lightning, uh, that basically are bioluminescent. That you know, the lamplighter goes around and gives them a drop of blood each night to keep them going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're basically thinking about living tools and what you could create with that.
0: So you mentioned the orcs, um, you know, the the Clown, and and we have the George Star orcs here. We talked about this in the orcs episode. First of all, orc orcs, orcs orcs Orcs, orcs orcs, and uh, the George Star orcs. And that that was an element that's been there for a long time. That there's these orcs that are sort of hiding now. They're they're, they're much less. I don't want to say prominent, but they're not as sort of on the surface, I guess. But they're still there. They're still a threat. They come up for raids and so on. How do you see them tying in with this sort of Delkir presence now?
2: Well, this is part of the point of that we've always said the Jaroshtar are uh, an alliance of tribes that were once more prevalent in the Iron Root Mountains, but were essentially driven into... Desolate places by the expansion of the Morar, um, and that there are two of the clans that are particularly trying to coexist with them, whereas some of the others, especially the Draenorith, uh, basically are like there are our enemies. We should wipe them out. Uh, I will say that exploring Eberron. Uh, gives them basically just as much space as it does to each of the dwarven clans, and actually does talk more because we've never talked about their culture, aside from the fact that they are aggressive and more, if you will, savage than the uh, the shadow march orcs. And here, you know, we finally do actually talk about well, what is their culture? And part of it to me is that they are completely different from the uh, the marcher orcs or Mm. from the goshkala because they're a totally different, you know, part of the world. It's the same way you find humans in another continent. You're not expecting them to be the same. And so part of the idea is that we've always said with the orcs that the orcs are a more primal, uh, passionate people that they are more driven to sort of operate in tribes as opposed to forged nations, if you will. Um, and so uh, the, uh, the George here, we do talk a little more about, uh, about their culture, about their traditions. They use uh, a form, they work both with dreams and necromancy Uh, and, you know, it also sort of fits a little with why some of the dwarves find them, frankly, creepy and disturbing. Uh, but we finally have enough that if you wanted to play a Jorishtar orc, you've got something interesting to work with and you can see where they would go. But the basic idea is that they never did go deep. Mm -hmm. They were, they were on the surface, that, the, that when the dwarves emerged from the surface, they were taking away their land. Right. Uh, so they aren't really dealing with the realm below. Where they are is Noldrenhold. And Noldrenhold is basically the idea that there were 13 clans and it's a, a Roanoke situation uh, where essentially 400 years ago, the uh, Noldrenhold, Clan Noldren, disappeared. And, uh, you know, there is this possibility that, you know, some people blame the Tar, some people blamed, you know, now we can look at it and say, oh, they may have uh, dug too deep and been destroyed by the Durn, and by Durn. Or it might still be something else. But what we know is that essentially it's very haunted. Uh, It is a place that none of the other clans have been able to reclaim, But that the Jorishtar are able to live there. And uh, that that is sort of an ongoing point of both contention, but also this is how they can sort of keep going is well. They live in the, the haunted wasteland that nobody else wants to deal with.
0: Right. And no, it's not the Mines of Moria. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no. Um but but basically I do feel that at least with exploring Eberron we do get into them in enough detail that uh, as a game master I would at least say oh now I understand what stories I can tell with them. You know, you've got enough to work with. Um I do feel that you know the next question is then dialing all this back to what does this mean to you as a player? And Part of it is once you have Exploring Eberron in your hands, at least, (laughs) uh, it is about all of the clans present interesting ideas. uh, But even without it, you can still say the whole point of your clan is what are your celebrated virtues? Do you know a story? What's your favorite story about your ancestor? Uh, Does your clan have a, a great relic that is a source of pride? Um, How do you feel about symbionts? Are you exploring that? Is that an opportunity? Uh, And and one of the points is this is driving the idea of dwarven warlocks, Mm -hmm. uh, of that warlocks are people who are messing around with these powers. Um, Or uh, then also, what is your history with the war below and where are you going with it? Does it matter to you?
1: I think one of the things um, I don't know if either of you guys have really uh, <clears throat> read too far into um, the Wildman book, the Explor- uh, Explorer's no, Guide not to really Wildman. I'm
2: afraid I've, I've been busy writing a thing. You <laughs> might know.
1: There's a there's a section called Heroic Chronicles, and mm-hmm. one of the things that it focuses on is rivals, yeah. uh, rivals and enemies, and mm-hmm. or, or nemesis, right? Mm-hmm. And what exploring Eberron has has given, and and I think one of the things that we don't necessarily define in a lot of character creation is this thing of a rival growing up or an enemy or a nemesis (laughs) or your arch nemesis when growing up and you know these dwarven clans have um quote-unquote natural enemies they've got the other clans that they don't like they've had slights or whatever and that creates a really really valuable character background Um, now it may never be used but it could be something that defines it because it could be someone your character competed against. It could be uh, something that your character maybe lost to, um, or they created a tragedy in your life. That's and the Hero Chronicles um, create those kind of events. They have like a table that you can roll on. It's 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 actually pretty interesting. Um, but when you when you put that together, um, it's it creates a, a natural it creates a natural interaction for you to go into a campaign with. And I'm not saying give your DM eight pages a backstory and be like, this is how I want my character to run. And it's like, it may not come up, but at least gives you something to hang your hat on and give you something to, to ground you in the world.
2: And, and that's exactly the point of, you know, where we're trying to go with the clans of the point is that the, th- the 13 clans we described, you know, are the ruling clans, the main clans. One of the things we say is they're not the only clans, you know, you can make up your own clan with your own story and all of that. But if you do pick one of the ruling clans, it does, as you said, come along with here are established feuds. And that that's something both that you can play with as a character Oh, dang it. You know, I mean, the DM knows I'm Solderak. If they introduce a and dwarf into, you know, NPC, I'm going to date that guy. Like, that's just a thing they have. They don't have to make a Moranon dwarf. If they do, they're inviting me to dislike him and vice versa. Uh, and as you said, it does give you that opportunity to, to say, well, I want to pick a specific uh, you know, sort of issue. And I'll say rising from the last war, I'm pretty sure it's been a while. You know, I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that the the Moor Clans I mean the more Holds uh, section uh, has a table in it that is specifically why have you left the Holds? And that, that has that, like, are you, was there a feud that just got too hot and you had to get out? Or are you the least son on your noble line and you're never going to get anywhere at home unless you go out and find something? And, and it is sort of driving that idea of just have a story. You know, you're not just a dwarven fighter. You're the, you know, the youngest child of your line, uh, trying to make something of yourself.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's fascinating because you know there there's those things to consider when not just when you leave or why you left, but while you're while you're adventuring, you know, are there any long feuds that you are tied to, you know, and and are there any that you still hold on to that you might encounter, you know, during during the uh, the adventure or the campaign. Um, and you know, and I don't mean specifically just about the fuse, but any of those things, right? Any of those things that, that that we've talked about so far, you know, how does your character feel about those components? Um, sure. You know, yeah. And 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 one of the things that I like about this
2: idea of story uh, that the dwarves love stories, and part of it is because ultimately, when we're playing a role playing game, what we are doing is making a story together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this just gets a slight touch meta about it and says, well, think about it. What is the story that your character has made? Because your character actually wants to tell that story. Mm -hmm. You want to share it with people. Uh, And ideally, you want to think about how are my actions going to reflect on the story people will tell about it. That it's a slight twist off of the... Uh, the Valinar elves, you know, the Tarnadal want to be very specific. My ancestor was known for this thing. I want to do that. But with the dwarves, it's just a little bigger. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, people will remember how incredibly honest I was or how amazingly strong I was. Mm -hmm. And that if you're a Droneth dwarf, you are always looking for opportunities to show just how strong you are. Because that's the thing you want
1: people to remember about you, and to create a new story for your clan, right? Oh yeah, you know yeah, absolutely. that's one of the difference between the, those Terandal elves is they're not trying to create a new story. They're trying to emulate that that ancestor. They're trying exactly. to do, they're trying to, to copy the story. You as a you as a dwarf of a certain clan, you're trying to create a new story for your clan to tell. You're trying to create the new brag. Right. For your your clan. exactly.
2: This is the right. latest brag, yeah. and and right now they'll tell it about you. But you're saying even 300 years from now they'll still be telling that story about that amazing thing Dwarvenith did that time. And uh, I just like that. It's yeah. just a fun fun take.
0: Well, and, and it's important to remember too that dwarves are also long living. Oh yeah, they're a long living yeah. race. And so for shorter them, than elves, for shorter than sure. elves, shorter than elves, but, but half, much yeah. longer than humans. And and I think that's important to remember because not only are they you know, that, that you know we're g- going back to the stories, but those stories live a long time and because people remember them for a long time and they and tell the twist, them for a long time. And the
2: twist on it, just saying, is this is the point, is that the elves live a long time and the dwarves live a long time. And what we've sort of gone with is to say the elves live a long time and they're really obsessed with remembering every detail mm-hmm. and doing things the way they used to be done. The dwarves live a long time and they cope with it by just not worrying about the details. Don't try to remember everything. Live in the moment. Right. And it's just a different approach to essentially ennui, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're just like, we don't care about the details. Just enjoy yourself.
0: Well, you know, a little bit less time to worry about the details than the elves do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, um, you know, and, and then I, I say this about any long-living race is, you know, considering to, you know, the, the last word, how it did affect everybody. And again, here with the dwarves, you know, what, what, what were you doing? Were you dealing with the war below or were you dealing with the war on the surface? Absolutely. You know. uh,
2: and, and the other thing I'd, I'd say, too, is is that it's very much the point that Wayne just made is one of the things we call out is specifically the fact that unlike the Arani, who are very much about, I'm going to do this exactly the way this guy did 2000 years ago. Uh, you have the Soul Direct dwarves in the Narathun specifically saying we want to do something new. We're making new weapons. We're we're you know trying to to master this new technology because they don't care exactly how their ancestors did things. They care about the spirit behind it, right. and and they are willing to make new things and adopt new techniques.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I we, think one uh, of oh, go ahead, Wayne. Yeah, uh, I'm just saying. I think one of the things that you know being a dwarf obviously um one of the things that you saw in rising was you know attaching a a, a sub race let's say elves mm-hmm, attaching mm-hmm. a sub race to a type of elf right so your erinel elf um is you know high elf and then your uh Tarandall, your valinar mm-hmm. uh is the the wood elf and I didn't see that with the dwarves. It wasn't like there's was an obvious thing here, but obviously we did create a new sub race because we wanted to we want to reinforce that realms below, that war below uh mentality, but also the, you know, as Keith has said, the warlock dwarf, which is mm-hmm. not exactly nece- yeah. And really i am never I'll be very honest, I've never been interested in Dwarf characters uh, in D D in general, um, it's n- never really been my bag, um, and in Eberron especially because it was like, well, I've got all this other stuff to play, all this other stuff to do, um, and you're telling me I'm just going to be a dwarf, and you know, with all those extra information, it's not it's not as interesting. I'll be very honest. I I, I thought that it was just like that's not as interesting, but now you're giving me, he's telling me, well, now you've got something funny, and I think we've gotten. A lot of comments about uh, Rusty. So Rusty is the dwarf with yeah. the uh, with the the tentacle um, <laughs> it's over his shoulder. Yep, yep. You don't see his eyes. He's got a cl- uh, crawling gauntlet. Um, we've got a lot of stories, a lot of things about him, um, and a lot of comments about him. Just like want to know a lot of a lot of comments about his eyes. I don't I don't get that. I'm just well, <laughs>
2: well, this is the thing is is the thing with Rusty is if you look on the. Um, uh the cover of Exploring Eberron, you'll see Rusty and he looks like he's wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And everyone essentially, or not everyone, a lot of people are like, why is he wearing sunglasses? Among other things, it's a dark dungeon. And and like in a sense you can say, oh he looks like he's a Shadowrun character or something like that. Uh part of the point with Rusty is the reason he's wearing sunglasses is we're not sure what's under the sunglasses. Because the thing about the, the dark blood dwarves is they do have physical mutations. And one of the things you can see he has a tentacle with an eye on it looking over his shoulder. And and so that is the point of why does Rusty wear his sunglasses at night? It's because you don't want him to take them off, trust me.
0: Optic blasts. No I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but Yeah. No, uh yeah, his his code name is Cyclops.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but anyhow, so so yeah, and it is the case that when we come to hill dwarves and and mountain dwarves, you know, part of what we say here is that's really more of an aspect of your upbringing and your training. Mm-hmm. That mountain dwarves, part of the point is they have uh, more armor training, and that's that reflects the fact that oh, probably you were in the militia in uh you know in the war below. Um, and and that it is the case we're on a fundamentally practical level. Part of it is in introducing the symbionts and such. We wanted to really create a viable path for dwarf warlocks. And we said, well, let's make a dwarf with a charisma bonus. <laughs> so there you go. Spoiler
1: nice. alert.
2: <laughs> Spoiler alert. But.
0: Yeah. Well, anyhow, all this to say is, is that we don't have to worry about the, uh, the whole... Uh, Dwarf versus giant racial traits from three point five, and now we have giants. And right, yeah, now we have dwarf versus strange things that go bump in the night in the dark. <laughs> I should say,
2: Yep. So, so, so you yeah. say this has certainly been a long, extended advertisement for exploring Eberron. Yep. No, uh, no. But it is, but it is nonetheless the case that part of the point is that, summing it all up, dwarves have been an element of Eberron that has always felt. To me, not so much completely lacking, but just less unique, less compelling. Uh, what I feel we did with Rising and build even further with Exploring is to really try and say, why do you want to be a dwarf? What makes your dwarf character interesting? Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel we've done that. I think what's going to happen when, and again, not to make this a whole episode about pimping Exploring <laughs> Eberron, because we're uh-huh. going to do that in another episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. But... Uh, but I think what what's going to happen when exploring everyone comes out is that I think you're going to see people talking about dwarves a lot more. Yeah. And I think, and, and not just, and I don't mean that just as a joke, but I mean in a, in an intriguing, interesting way in terms of the short, the stories they're trying to craft, the adventures they're trying to craft. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think we're going to see some, I think that's going to be true for a lot of the topics in this book, mm-hmm. but particularly with the, with the dwarves, um, I'm I'm excited to see how this uh, this impacts the community. Quite honestly, so. Yeah. All, right. All right. Well, I think that just about covers it. Uh, let's, gentlemen, do you have anything uh, you want to add before we wrap it up?
2: Mm-mm.
0: Really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm good. It's like it's like we talked about everything there is to talk about. That's great. <laughs> awesome. No more right. nothing about doors ever again. Nothing, nothing about <laughs> doors ever again. We're, we'll be silent about them. So if you ask us questions online, we're not going to answer them. <laughs> We're kidding. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening and be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages and whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show and join us next time as we venture into the wilds of the Eldine reaches caveat Ooh. that also depends on when exploring Eberon drops. <laughs> Good point. So uh, that's true. Uh, but that is our, our next topic of choice. And, uh, and then I, f- I forgot who it was that mentioned that. I feel bad for not remembering, but thank you for the suggestion. It's a great topic. And uh, until next time, keep exploring.